does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. All right, we're back. It is another edition of Kevin's Corner. I guess I lied at the start of the week. I said it'd be weekly here as we move into the offseason. But the more I thought about it after Chris Ballard's season-ending presser on Thursday, I thought, you know what? Let's end the week with a little Friday morning pod. Uh, Hopefully take next week off from a podcast standpoint. I guess this will qualify as next week's podcast. That is the hope here, again, a lot, a lot of Chris Bauer to recap. Anthony Richardson, we should mention this too. He did you know, talk for about 20 minutes yesterday, so we'll toss some thoughts uh, in here on that. And then, uh, of course, have Twitter questions to round things out. Eddie Garrison, good to see you. Likewise, I also appreciate you doing this on Friday instead of uh, next week because the Pacers have a nice West Coast road trip. So they start it Sunday in Denver, and then Monday they're in Utah, Thursday, Friday, uh, they are in California. Yeah, for those that are unfamiliar, um, Eddie does produce uh, the Pacers uh, broadcast. So, yeah, there was maybe a little bit of that. So I thought it just kind of made sense for um, the news cycle and then for your own sanity um, to not have to do one next week. So, um, again, a ton of Chris Bowers stuff we're going to get into today. A little bit of Anthony Richardson, go through Twitter questions as well. Eddie, I don't think I walk away from yesterday with one grand takeaway. Um, you know, I don't know if you were going to put one headline out there. I, I guess Gus Bradley's back. Michael Pittman Jr. is still loved, and they're going to work to try and get something done with him. And you know, Anthony Richardson plain style question debate. Uh, you know, need a little bit more explosiveness on each side of the ball. If you're going to point to needs, you'd probably point there. Maybe a little bit of corner, uh, maybe safety as well. So I, I guess that is kind of the big, you know, overview of it all. Um, you know, I, I thought generally how he started off the presser makes a lot of sense. You know, tough ending, but encouraged. I, I think in a very succinct way that kind of sums up how last season ends. Honestly, if it's tough on anyone, it should be probably the toughest on him because his resume is really unchanged from a what have you done of substance standpoint when you're talking about postseason wise. He had a really interesting line early on in the presser that all of a sudden had me kind of deviating from my question list and wanted clarity on it. He said something to the effect of, like, it was good being a team again. And that was just kind of an odd phrase to me, being a team again. So I asked him to expand on that. He brought up 2021. Um, you know, I think that's kind of an indirect shot maybe at Carson Wentz. And, you know, he said players plural – so I'm trying to think from 2021 what other players are not there now that he might have been referencing. I mean, I, I guess we want to get technical. You know, Shaq Leonard was on that team and is no longer here. But it's not like the personnel has changed that much from 2021. But, um, you know, he, he mentioned that. Um, and then I, I guess maybe my biggest thought is I'll, I'll start here with Anthony Richardson. And... You know, Chris, from a playing style standpoint, you know, I'll continue to stand by what I've said now since Richardson got hurt. Eddie, for me, it's limit but not eliminate. Limit but not eliminate. That is how I view the design runs for him moving forward. I think Richardson said all the right things you would want playing style wise. I nodded my head at a lot of what he said. But, um, you know, Chris said in regards to Richardson of, you know, kind of similar to the overall team of, you know, we are encouraged. You don't know yet, but again, we are encouraged. Um, but we have work to do. And that is a phrase he used with Richardson. And then he also threw in the, he has work to do. And when I hear the we have work to do statement, to me, Eddie, that's the biggest need of the offseason. It's the biggest storyline of the offseason, supporting him. You know, that phrase, we have work to do, you could probably look at it and say that is for the internal development of Richardson. But again, also, it's time to support the kid. It's time to take advantage of him being on a rookie contract and front load deals and you know those sorts of like I mean that that's where you're at right now to try and create um, you know a really nice supporting cast around him and then obviously you know adjust as you need to once you start to pay him a little bit more a couple of years down the road there. You know he he brought up 
how the Colts were 10th in explosive plays when Richardson was at quarterback. I think you also should note, Eddie, off of that, just one snap with Jonathan Taylor. I mean, you know, we'll get more into the explosive plays comment as the podcast moves along, but, you know, there's part of me that thinks the Colts could just simply look at it and say, hey, we just think Richardson will be healthy. <laughs> and I, I don't think they should put all the eggs in that basket. But again, a combination of Richardson and Taylor, whoa, well, Nelly, to quote Keith Jackson. I mean, that could be, you know, very, very enticing from an explosive nature to it. And then probably the last Richardson related comment that stood out to me was he feels like what he saw in 173 snaps indicates Richardson can be a legitimate passer in this league. Um, I would say this about Richardson's passing. I came away a little bit more optimistic about it, but I don't know if I'm ready to say just that. Like, legitimate passer in this league, deliver from the pocket. Um, Certainly, if you continue to grow, then I think there's evidence to point to that. But I still think, you know, and maybe the shoulder injury has something to do with it, but, you know, there's a lot of important fundamentals that need to be drilled in game settings with that. And I, I think it might be a little premature to say that, but that's a big line from Ballard. Because when we've taught quarterback throughout the years, you know, he's always kind of referenced that line. At some point, the guy has to deliver from the pocket. You know, that, that, that's that been a popular phrase of his. And we went over this a couple months ago when Richardson went down. You know, when the injury occurred, you know, whether you want to go all the way back to Donovan McNabb, whether you want to go back to Steve McNair, certainly Michael Vick falls into this category. Guys that have been a bit of dual-threat quarterbacks to the varying degrees that dual-threat quarterbacks are out there, their running inevitably went away. Or it largely came down. Late 20s, certainly into 30s. At some point, you have to reinvent yourself. And again, Ballard thinks walking away from this season that Richardson you know, could reinvent himself to a degree. Um, again, I don't know if I'm ready to say that just yet. I thought there were some encouraging signs as a thrower, but still... I want to see more there before I go there just yet. Um, anything Richardson-related, Eddie, from Ballard that stood out to you with his comments yesterday? That he was just, hey, let's not crown him just yet. That part, he just went out of his way to toss in there, and I was like, eh, interesting, because obviously a lot of fans and some of the media, us included, are very high and uh, about the future and the promise that Anthony Richardson displayed in his rookie season but when he said that we have work to do I think was the biggest sigh of relief in my opinion just because you know it's something we've been clamoring for for years now is that to surround your quarterback with actual like NFL type players that have a little bit of a name recognition to them and when you look at some of the potential wide receivers that could be on the open market that fits the bill when you look at some of the availability in the draft that fits the bill as well. So it's just encouraging to see uh, Chris Ballard acknowledge publicly that, hey, we need to help him out and be more explosive on offense. Let's go there next. Um, Again, the explosive nature to the offense, I do think a Richardson-Taylor parent can help big time. I did think it's something to note that Ballard believes that in free agency and the draft that there will be those types of players available. You know, when you hear explosive, I think immediately you just think guys over the top. You know, guys that just vertically can make a play. You know, I think there's different levels to it. You know, Alec Pierce is an explosive player. I don't know how explosive necessarily he could be yards after catch. Like, Debo Samuel is effing explosive. But it's not necessarily I'm getting behind the last line of the of the D. It's watch me take this ball. You two try and tackle me. You'll both miss. And the other guys in the field won't try hard enough to come and tackle me. And I'll turn 13 into 33. That can be explosive. I think that element is something I'd like to... If I'm going to get really greedy with what the pass catcher should look like for this team moving forward, what the addition to that group has been like, and again, I think in the next 18 to 24 months, you've got to take a big, big swing at that position. It's that type of guy. you know. Obviously a great catcher of the football, but it's turning you know, just kind of average plays into big, big plays. And not necessarily doing it, again, with straight line speed or just the brute physical strength of Pittman. It's just the elusive nature. It's the make-you-miss type of element to it. Um, You know, on the flip side of it, you know, what does explosive mean defensively? Obviously, he wants to stop 
some of those plays, but also create some of those plays. So that kind of goes a lot of different directions when you talk about the defensive side of the ball. Does that mean more of a pass rush? Uh, consistent pass rush, I would argue. You know, his answer about Quiddy Pay was probably a little bit higher than I am on him. We can get into more Quiddy Pay numbers, you know, throughout this offseason. But Eddie, Tyquan Lewis had better pressure rates than Quiddy, more consistent disruptive plays than Quiddy. And you want to compare the snap counts of the two? And Tyquan's coming off a torn patella. Right. I bet Tyquan played half the snaps of Quiddy Pay. You know, Diode Engbo played a lot more, but he definitely had more disruption consistently than Quiddy. So, you know, part of me thinks the scarcity of that elite edge rusher doesn't grow on trees. So, I, you know, I think listeners will know I'm really, really focused on that position uh, there in round one, but I don't know if Ballard necessarily agrees. But then again, if you want more explosive plays on defense, that's a great opportunity to try and create that, is to get more consistent pr- pressure and more individual pressure. Obviously, if you look at it from the flip flip side of it and you want to limit explosives, the back end comes into play. You know, He definitely needs to add more at corner, add fuel there. And then safety will be interesting with Julian Blackman. You know, question I've thought a lot about Eddie here over the first offseason or first week of the offseason is I look at four notable free agents. I look at Pittman, I look at Grover, I look at Kenny Moore, and I look at Julian Blackman. Who's the easiest to replace of those four? Probably Blackman. It probably is that, but damn, was that a big loss this season. Oh, yeah. Like, all of them are difficult to replace, I think is probably the first answer that would provide context. But boy, um, you really felt Blackman's loss. And I understand the, the the thinking behind where you're going with that because there is no Nick Cross equivalent at defensive tackle. There is no Nick Cross equivalent at nickel corner. Um, I know that it's probably too rich at 15 overall to go nickel corner, but Eddie, if you really want to get technical at corner, nickel is the big need. Outside corner, you at least have some guys, whether it's Juju, whether it's Jalen Jones, whether it's Dallas Flowers, granted coming off the torn Achilles, there's nobody at nickel to pass the torch to. Honestly, if I'm Kenny Moore's agent, I'm saying, you really want my client to walk? Because the guy that replaced him last year was a dude that is suspended and now off the team in Tony Brown and Chris Lamont's you know still I don't think is that that sort of guy there's no young draft pick I remember saying this after the the draft last April probably more into May when we had this conversation Daniel Scott's more of a safety right correct correct I I, I like the three corner vibe from the draft but I wish one of them would have been more of a nickel and I get it. Maybe you know people view 15 overall as too premium for a nickel, and that's fine. I think nickel's grown, though. I think it's kind of like how we view right tackle a little bit more, how we view defensive tackle a little bit more. Like that position has kind of risen. And you look at some of the, the ranks of importance. Dominant wide receivers in the NFL now. A lot of them are slot wide receivers. You have Cooper Cup. Jamar Chase operates out of the slot a lot. Well, uh, and that point right there. Almond Ross St. Brown as well. Yeah, a lot of teams move the guy into the slot to find that matchup. If you have a strong slot, then you can you know avoid some of that there. Uh, so that was kind of the get explosive, and I think that falls into needs. You know, that's kind of where the needs are. If you want to look at it, um, I'd probably say the next point. I know we want to get to Gus Bradley here, just a second here, but. Um, Let's go with kind of the flexibility with this offseason. I'd say it's the first Ballard season-ending presser I've walked away from, Eddie. And I don't remember getting the soapbox. Guys, you know what free agency is. It's paying A money to B players. It's paying B money to C players. That has been a popular soapbox from Ballard throughout these end-of-season pressers. In 51 minutes yesterday, I didn't really hear that. There was actually an interesting point late in the presser where he was asked specifically about whiteout and the market value for whiteouts. And obviously, it's a very high number right now. And Ballard used the gas analogy. He used the, well, if you're going to drive your car and it's $4 a tank, you're going to have to spend $4 a tank. There's no way around that. And that's kind of where you're at with whiteout right now. And and those are kind of his words, really. Um, So... I don't know if this is me like wanting to hear things 
I try not to go down that path. But I didn't hear as much as the stringent, you know, heavily against the use of free agency sort of focus to it. Now, having said that, I'll reiterate what I've said about Ballard before. Is that Shane Steichen a little bit too? Yeah, and I asked him directly about Shane. He didn't really get into that element to it, but I'm curious if that is there. Um, you know, Ballard has found hits in free agency. I mean, hell, Samson Epicom, really nice find in free agency. It, it's trying to find more of those and, and being willing to use more of that and realizing a miss in free agency is not the end of the world when you have this rookie contract quarterback. You know, this is the time to spend some of this money because it's going to get tighter. It's going to get tighter to the point where draft picks mean more. And you're not necessarily there. Obviously, draft picks still mean a lot, but you're not necessarily there just yet. Um, and I would say just kind of big picture too, Eddie, we've never seen Ballard with this offseason. We've never seen him with these two things. We've never seen him with a rookie contract quarterback, and we've never seen him with this many notable in-house free agents. Both of those things. And I gave him, I don't know if I gave him an out, but I asked the question, assuming an answer, in the press conference when I asked him, you've got north of $70 million in cap space. Will a big chunk of that go to in-house free agents? Past Ballard pressers to me would have indicated he will say yes to that. You know how we build, we like to retain our own, you know, something along those lines. He didn't necessarily go down that entire path. Now, I say that, Eddie, and think to myself, again, I think Michael Michael Pittman, Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore, and Julian Blackman are all very important guys to try and bring back. And if you brought all four of them back, I mean, what would the math be? I'm just doing this off the top of my head. Let's just do easy math. Let's say it's $20 million for Pittman, and let's say it combines out to $30 million for the other three. That's 50 of your 72. 22 to Ballard oftentimes means maybe one more splash. Maybe. Like, it's not a given that he even utilizes all of that. So, um, I, I, I felt a slightly different tone from him in regards to the money and the spending of it. Now, granted, they are in a different state. You know, he used the word that Kevin Pritchard uses a lot. We have flexibility. They certainly do. They have flexibility. Um, they don't really have it in the draft. They've had it in the draft. They Right now, they don't. They just have their seven picks. So, you know, you can create some of that, obviously, with trading in the draft, which he, of course, has done. But um, I, I, I'm just interested to see how they handle the building with a rookie quarterback. Yeah. Anything that on that end, before we move on to Gus Bradley, anything like money, not paying the quarterback, free agency-wise, no. any of that kind of stand out to you? I mean, he spoke glowingly of all uh, of the big four. You know, Pittman, mm-hmm. we're going to work on getting him back. Grover's guy we'd like to have back. We thought Julian played excellent football. He was high on Kenny Moore. All of that. Franchise tag, ideally they wouldn't use it, but it's a tool to use. Um, yeah, I didn't take... No, you hit. You did a pretty well job summarizing. Okay, let's move on to Gus Bradley then. Um, obviously, Gus sounds like it will be back. He is under contract for 2024. I thought that was just an important question to get clarity on because sometimes with coordinators, you aren't sure exactly if they're under contract or not. And really, Ballard took all the blame for the 28th in points each of the last two years. And, you know, it was a it was a reminder of you know Jim Mercy has clearly signed off on this approach. I mean, Jim Mercy's good with the youth movement that they've committed to in the secondary. Um, and he said, kind of, how do you develop some young guys without that? And you know, part of it too is just reality of the situation you're in as a football team. Stephon Gilmore didn't want to be here anymore. Stephon Gilmore wants to be playing in the game that he'll play in on Sunday afternoon. He wasn't getting that here in Indy. Or at least he didn't think he'd get there. So part of it is it's reality of when you have gone through the playoff rut, the lack of playoff success, however you want to label it, that they have under the Ballard in the Ballard era, that, you know, veteran guys that have some expectations on wanting to be here and then realize that no longer is necessarily there, they want to move on. Um I keep on coming back to this with Bradley. What does Shane Steichen want? Like Shane seems content with it. Um, you know, you go back to Shane's answers on Monday about Gus Bradley. They weren't the most ringing endorsements, you know. I mean, it's a lot of continuity. I've got history with them. 
You know, it wasn't like, you know, he does this especially well. He does that especially well. Like, it wasn't the greatest sort of, man, that gives you a whole lot of confidence in his belief in that guy. And Shane can be a little bit more reserved in those areas, but still, I just get a level of content and complacent with what they're doing defensively. And I think that's a dangerous game to play. Eddie, look at the weather in Kansas City and Buffalo this weekend. You think defense is going to matter? Go back to the Colts' 2006 playoff run. Did defense matter? The offense was, I'd say, borderline mediocre in that playoff run. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, the New England game, they put up a lot of points. But you won that Super Bowl because your defense showed up. Mm -hmm. You have to create, in my opinion, a defense that has championship type of ability. And for Ballard to take it all on him... you know, Ballard again handled all of it, and I'm like, damn, look at the personnel you've invested. Like, I mean, Eddie, let's go through this defense. Mm-hmm. These aren't a bunch of CFLers in that unit. First round picks Quiddy Pay, DeForest Buckner, plus money on DeForest as well. Second round picks Dio Dangbo, Tyquan Lewis, Juju Brents. Third rounders Julian Blackman, Nick Cross. You talk about notable free agents that you've spent money on, substantial money. You've re-signed Zaire Franklin. You've re-signed EJ Speed. You've re-signed uh, Grover Stewart. DeForest Buckner, of course, is big money. Samson Ebocom was notable money as well. This is not the Atlanta Falcons pops into my mind because that's a recent team the Colts have played. Hell, mm-hmm. look at the Texans. Mm-hmm. It's like the Texans have got a bunch of household names on that defense either. So, um, I don't... I'm still not following the whole defensive plan, confidence, however you want to describe it. The part that doesn't make sense to me, and I talked about this on Monday's pod, is that you have an athletic and long cornerback in Juju Brents, but you play zone. You have somewhat of a long and athletic Jalen Jones, and you play zone. Those two don't add up to me. You would think they'd be better in man coverage. Yeah, I might. Because I know I, I don't know I feel like a lot of people immediately point to like I want to see Gus blitz more I I don't know if I'm necessarily like that's my biggest issue variety and coverages to your point um, picking spots to play press man I think mm-hmm. are areas where I'd like to see a little bit more and it comes back to this and I've talked with other NFL coaches about this preparation for the Colts is one of the least taxing in the entire NFL when you talk about getting ready for their defense. That to like I want to cause stress. I want to put seeds of doubt. I want fear. I like that's what I want in preparation. And, and I don't necessarily feel like that is there. I actually I don't think that is there. And then you know the question I specifically asked Chris was, you know, 28th in points each of the last 2 years. Why? How? In Gus's first year, Eddie, I think you could point to some of that point total can be contributed to the amount of turnovers the Colts committed. The Colts committed a lot of turnovers in that 2022 season. You look at this past year, they really didn't commit that many turnovers. Certainly not the number they did the year before. And again, look at the schedule they played quarterback-wise. I mean, it was a joke of a schedule from a QB standpoint. So, inevitably, you would think that rises next season. Honestly, we could get the end of next year, Eddie, and if you told me they allowed the same number of points, but they played the the quarterbacks that looks like they're going to play next year, I might say, well, that's a step in the right direction. Uh, because, again, I think you're going to be grading on a different scale there. So, um, you know, this is an offseason where it looks like they will run it back with Gus Bradley for a third year. Again, I don't think this is Gus 1000% must be fired. He's done a horrific job. This is an embarrassment. But if you're trying to build something and look at that defense in a championship level, like there were moments, too many moments, where you allowed other mediocre to not upper echelon quarterbacks slice and dice you you know what happens when you do play those elite signal callers because you know really when you did play those guys I mean they either beat you or you gave up big points 
whether it was the two games to Trevor Lawrence or the Matthew Stafford game, uh, you know, you did hold Lamar Jackson and that unit down. You know, Baltimore fans would probably say they had a ton of injuries and whatever. Uh, you know, C.J. Stroud, of course, put up big numbers there on on Saturday night. So, yeah, there's just a level of too much contentment for my liking, word wise, defensively. Be curious how the actions play out over the next few months, but word wise, a little bit too content for my liking. Um, other stuff, Bowd related, not too much really. And feel free if you've got anything in here, Eddie. I thought his answer about the character guys was a bit odd. Mm-hmm. He really didn't act like that was a huge deal. I'm like, oh, what, aren't you the one that's always, you know, heaping out character and and really focusing on that? And then all of a sudden, like, I get that there's context around it. Eight suspensions and an arrest in a seven month period has to be one of the highest. Of any NFL team in years. Oh yeah, I mean, has to be. Um, so I, I don't want to, you know, focus on moral compass too, too much because I know a lot of people just they'd rather care about football and whatnot. But I thought his answer there was a bit soft, to be honest with you. It was too gambling, too like team. So and you then... the, you the two gambling, the other two PEDs, you had the two. Um, yes, in uh, I'll say internal. Uh, for Tony Brown and Isaiah McKenzie, obviously had the Drew Ogletree, and then what's Lamonts and Lamonts, yeah, the uh, the physical violence or whatever the exact the fight in Vegas, yeah, yeah, the fight in Vegas, whatever the exact phrases on that one there. And I, I mean, I guess it kind of goes back to the Cream Hunt answer that he gave earlier this year. Um, that people deserve a second chance. Yeah, or just I, I don't know. He said something like, you know, I think you know how we vet these guys, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and who knows? I mean, the Drew Ogletree allegations and how I think he's due for a court date coming up the next month. But you know, if those allegations are true, I don't think if I'm Carly Ursay or Casey Ursay, Casey Foyt or Kalen Jackson that I want to hear the first thing is these guys deserve second chances. I mean, if the allegations are true, which again, there's an obviously an if on it, but uh-huh. you know, a body slam from a six six two hundred sixty pound individual against a woman, like. I don't, you know, me as a father of a, a, a of a girl, I, I don't think I want to hear the second chances is the first thing out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just thought, I, I honestly, I thought it was pretty soft by Ballard for a guy that preaches character so so much. Um, Jonathan Taylor said, you know, calmer heads prevail. He he makes it clear that Taylor was hurt. You know, it was the first time we've talked to him about uh, Taylor and that contract, and about to see greatness out of him. I I do, I mean. I think Colts fans should have a bit of a foaming at the mouth, imagining Richardson and Taylor with each other. Especially with the way Taylor cl- finished sure. out the season. Sure. Now, you know, maybe this is for a later conversation in the offseason. Are we to a point now with Taylor and injuries? We have to discuss it a little bit more. So damn durable at Wisconsin. So durable early in his NFL career. You know, a lot of evidence points to once you hit the 300 carry mark in a season in the NFL, running backs, their 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 numbers really go down. Are we there with Taylor? Are we not there? Again, maybe a question down the road. Um, and he loves, 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 as you would expect, Shane Steichen. I thought his Steichen answer was was a great answer in explaining why he loves him. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's a great problem solver. Always dialed in. Never lacks confidence. Sees the big picture. You know, Shane, I think you you guys, even in the limited you know press conference interactions we get with Shane, I, I do walk away from a lot of them and think, damn, his recall is remarkably impressive. Oh, it's impeccable. And that is very important for how much is on his plate during a game. Very and very necessary, I would argue as well. So yeah, I, I thought um I thought his answer was great about Shane and just providing that detail. Uh, anything else ballad related from you, Eddie Garrison? Did not seem overly confident about Alec Pierce. There was a little bit of a hesitation um in his reply um when he was asked about his evaluation in the second year wide out. I don't know if I got that same reaction. Getting down the field's what he's really good at. He was successful. Work on ways to do what he does well. I think I could be wrong, but I think he kind of falls into a little bit of similar boat where I am, where I'm just ready to see what he looks like with Richardson. Now, again, I think there still is a part of it, Eddie, where it's like, damn, 65 snaps in a game and you don't have a catch. You know, yeah. there's still. 
some of that that I think should be there. But I think given how many wideouts teams you know use throughout a game, throughout a season, given how that position can have a little bit of a pick your flavor, you know, Baskin Robbins style of what you want on a given play, I do think Pierce can still be an important piece for you. Because again, his one catch is a whole lot different than Josh Downs' one catch. You know, I mean, his one catch can be 42 and can change a game, i.e., the Raiders game. You know, whereas the down, you know, Downs might not be the best example because Downs had a lot of big plays, but or the Tennessee game, right? Yeah, the right. two big. Tennessee for sure, but yeah, I mean, then the Raiders game wasn't that his only catch? Yes. You know, I mean, that's the one that it is wild though to look at Pierce's, and I'll bring it up, and I'll I'll see if the Wi-Fi behaves for me. It is wild when you look at Alec Pierce over the course of a season and just how few of catches he had. I mean, I'd be willing to bet, Eddie. He had 32 for the entire season. I mean, right. I mean, isn't that... So, what? That's less than two a game. Let's see. One, two, three. I mean, literally, four, go over five, his... five, six, his, seven, eight games with one or zero. Yeah. I mean, this is literally his catch total. Game by game. One, two, three, one, one, three, 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 zero, one, four, three, two, one, three, one, zero. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of wild to look at his targets. He ended the, the last month of the season. Obviously, Pittman gets hurt in some of that. He ends the season catching, what, five of his last 19 targets? Mm-hmm. Now, again, a lot of these are vertical, but, um, yeah. That's all I got on Ballard. Five, yeah. Pierce go nowhere, by the way. I know. I mean, he, he he's under contract. He shouldn't go anywhere. I still think you just you bring him back and you invest at wide out how you should. I mean, I, I look at this offseason and say, re-sign Pittman, Pierce is here, he's in year three of year four, and you go out there and you make you know a somewhat notable move at wideout, if not really notable, and see what happens. Uh, did you have Jacoby Brissett and Andrew Luck mentions on the bingo card? Uh, Andrew, yeah, Jacoby I did not. No, he, and that was in reference to Gardner, right? Yeah, Jacoby, Gardner yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was in reference to you know backups wanting to be starters. Again, I think for Gardner, I think the Colts, should want to bring him back. You know, it, it's interesting. You see the debate of should you have more of a like-minded backup? Should you have more of a stylistic guy like Richardson? Tyler mm-hmm. Huntley has been a popular name I've seen people throw out there. Um, I think there are some advantages to not having to change the playbook too, too much when you go. I think a lot of it probably depends on Eddie. You know, how long are you going to be having that backup in there? Mm-hmm. If you need him for 13 games, changing the offense to Gardner probably makes more sense than Tyler Huntley just keeping it for a week or two. I, I I view backup in this light. You have to be realistic with your expectations. I view backup like Houston had to go to their backups this year. Stroud's out for two to three games. Can you survive it? Mm-hmm. Can you keep the ship afloat? Can you go one and two? And they went go, with uh, Case Keenum, right? Keenum first and then Mills, right? Remember, did they go Keenum both? I thought Mills got in. Maybe I'm he may have to the gotten in, but I think they went with Keenum both For some times. They benched Keenum at some point, but again, can you win a game? And I think Minshew gives you a chance to win a coin flip game. That's just how I view it. Now, I I still think in the draft they should come back and they should draft a quarterback in round five or six that Shane Steichen has identified. I think that is an important thing to do, but. Uh, that's kind of how I look at quarterback right now. I, I assume Minshew will find a starting gig elsewhere. By the or way, a, a, a playing time gig, I, I should say. Elsewhere, we're, we're in a different studio, and I think we have an audience just watching us. Really, Scotty Johnston and uh, Nigel. Gosh, I, it, it seems very boring to watch radio. I know. <laughs> By the way, I like your socks, nice mocha coffee colored stripes. You got going on over there. Um. All right, moving on to Richardson. Sorry, I got a text that that distracted me. Okay. Just- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Start with Anthony Richardson. When I was listening to that live... I was thoroughly impressed with just how more professional and mature and grown up he sounds compared to the previous uh, times where he was speaking. It just felt like, you know, he was a kid at a candy store walking down up in the aisles like I can have whatever I want. 
and I'm just thankful to be here. And then I think yesterday you saw more of like, hey, this is the NFL. This is a business. This is my job. This is what I'm here to do. And it was a lot more serious than I think he had been in the past. You know, I I, I would say this with Richardson. I, I And I felt this way about his first press conference here in Indy. I feel like from a verbal standpoint, what he expresses with his words, I I think you gotta love what he says if you're if you're a Colts fan. I think he walks the line really, really well, Eddie, of uber confident in himself, knows that work needs to be done. Um I appreciate kind of his candor and some of the answers as well. And I know I've mentioned this before. I, I get Benedict Matherin vibes from him when he talks, but I would say a little bit more outgoing than Matherin, which I think is important for for quarterback uh, because you have to connect with so many guys in that locker room. So, you know, Richardson stuff uh, should be throwing next month. It sounds like that'll leave him, you know, three full months before OTAs to, you know, kind of ramp it up and everything. Sounds like a little bit of Jacksonville time will be spent, uh, but some back and forth between here and uh, Indy or here in Westfield. Um, yeah, I get. I mean, this sounds harsh, but I, you know, I, I listen to Zach Wilson. And I'm like, what? And I listen to Anthony Richardson. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and again, I think that matters uh, to when you're talking about quarterback wise. I liked his answer on playing style. You know, there's a time and a place to be physical. He brought up specifically kind of the down and distance example, which I couldn't agree with more. Not every first and ten is the same. Not every first and ten should be treated the same. Not every third and seven scramble should be treated the same right or wrong and, and I get there is an old school mentality of you play the game physical and that's part of it and you know whoop de do I think you have to pick your spots it's very difficult to do very difficult to do you know once it, it, this is a horrible analogy but when the red light comes on and we record this podcast I probably fall into old habits even when I want to do something differently so drilling that into him seeing it happen on game day will be interesting, but I have long said with him, I don't put it on him. I don't think he plays reckless. I don't think this is Josh Allen. I think he slid, you know, the first play of that Rams game after he missed time with the concussion. What else is he supposed to do on the Harold Landry tackle that ended a season? What else? Like, I, I, I don't, I thought he did exactly what he could do. It's not like he could have gotten the sidelines. It's not like he could have slid for a no gain there. I, I don't, I don't know what else he does with that. I mean, sure, the Houston play, if you want to nitpick, you know, he could probably run through the end zone there. But, um, you know, be smart when the time – be smart, but when the time comes to make a play, you've got to make a play. And, you know, go back to fourth and one on Saturday night. If Richardson's in the game there and he gets the ball and you've got to run Will Anderson over, you've got to try and do it. So, um, again, limit, not – Eliminate. I think so much of this falls more on Shane Steichen. And I am adamant about this. I am adamant about this. I think you've got to get to a point from a play-calling standpoint where you know the threat with Richardson is going to be there no matter how little you run him. Like, think back to fourth and one on Saturday night. Did Houston have one ounce of accounting for Gardner Minshew? Nope. You imagine what the conversation would have been like on that Houston sideline had Richardson been the quarterback. Even if he didn't run it that much during the course of a game, you would have... Eddie, go back to Zach Moss's biggest play of the game. Biggest play of the year. Excuse me. Tennessee. Richardson was on the field. Richardson's on the field. They got two guys going to Richardson. Next thing you know, Moss looks like Usain Bolt up the middle. <laughs> it, it, like That sort of attention is always going to be there because if you are the defensive coordinator, if you are, you know, whoever, I'm trying to think, whatever, if you're D'Amico Ryans and the Colts are playing the Texans in week one next year, you're saying to your guys, guys, we have to account for him. At some point in the game, he's going to make a big play or two, and we've got to make sure that we have that wrangled. I still think even if you run him four times in a game versus eight times in a game, Mm -hmm. that threat will be there, and if the defense doesn't acknowledge it, they're going to get their ass beat. Oh, yeah. So that's how I view playing style and everything. Nothing made him smile more than thinking about playing with Jonathan Taylor. I had to love when he said he goes home and watches Taylor highlights. That was funny. And then I asked him this. You know, I asked him anything to surprise him, on or off the field, about his rookie season. He kind of said he was, like, pleasantly surprised with how he played. Like, 
he thought he would play well, but I got the vibe again a little little bit like pleasantly surprised with how he looked. But again, you know, time on field. That was the thing you missed the most. And those are his words, you know, missing the time on the field. He, you know, he talked about how he's kind of just getting into his routine. And I'll repeat a lot of what I said two months ago, but you know, he just he missed out on the unscripted nature of football. The ebbs and flows in a, of an NFL game. They are wild. You know, he felt that in the Rams game. But again, getting that week in, week out. December moments. Two-minute stuff. Having teams play you a second time. Mm-hmm. What would life have looked like had he played Jacksonville again? Mm-hmm. What would life have looked like? I mean, he played all those AFC South teams, I guess, a little bit. You know, what would life have looked like a second time around? Just seeing NFL speed. Feeling that. Getting that ingrained into your body, you know, to where it becomes second nature. All of that, I think, is what he missed. Uh, anything else, Richardson, before we go to Twitter questions? He did say that he was able to learn coverages and defensive schemes a little bit more because of the time off, So, and that it did slow down for him being on the sideline, just being able to watch Gardner Minshew operate and see how he went about it. I think he called Gardner Minshew the ultimate professional or something like that. Yeah, I, I and, and yes, I can nod my head, but man, it's something to learn in the classroom. It's whole different to learn it when it... Oh, yeah. You know what gets real out on the field. Um, before we do Twitter questions, I want to go over the uh, announcement that the Colts made earlier this week after our Monday podcast regarding Jim Ursay. Yes. And if you have anything to add sure. on to this, um, I think it was Tuesday afternoon. Uh, the Colts uh, issued a statement that Colts uh, that the owner Jim Ursay is dealing with a severe upper respiratory illness. Um, he's in. He's in good care is what they said. And then yesterday, Chris Ballard added that he's in stable condition and uh, they'll work through that. I don't know if you had anything else to add on the matter just because it's been a while since um, fans have seen or media has heard or, you know, Twitter has even heard from Jim or say in videos and whatnot. Yeah, I think if you're someone that, you know, whatever, believes in prayer, believes in good thoughts, Jim or and his family need him. Um Yes, yeah, stable condition, right? Was that the word that mm-hmm. Chris Bauer used specifically yesterday? Um, but obviously it's a man that's been through a lot medically, physically over the years. I I personally have not seen him since the Steelers game. Um, and, and, I mean, think about, I mean, we all know Jim Mersey on varying levels. I mean, Eddie, you know how much he's got to be going through to not be at a game in his own building to mm-hmm. go to the playoffs? Again, that was the biggest game in nine years, in my opinion, inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. So, um and, and, you know, I just think any time when you get in the winter months and you get people that are of that age, 64, is that right for Ursay? I believe so. 64, and again, dealt with a ton from a medical standpoint and a health standpoint. Um, yeah, you, 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 I mean, hell, I've got, you know, friends, parents right now that are dealing with things. You obviously worry about uh, that as well. So hopefully everything is good. And, and I know this sounds weird, but, you know, it is, I guess, Eddie, just kind of wild to think that this is like the first time the Colts have had a quiet January in a while. Mm-hmm. Like, Ursay's had to be heavily involved in a lot of decisions, of course, you know, in recent Januaries. Theoretically, he doesn't, he isn't that needed right now organizationally. Uh, and again, I think people see her on the sideline, Carly Ursay, you know, every game, I mean, hell, every practice I'm at, she's out there as well. And, and certainly the day to day, she handles a whole lot more there. So, yeah, fingers crossed for everything. Uh, good on the Jim Ursay health front because I mean, his philanthropic side that we see and, and that we don't see. There are a lot of things that man does behind the scenes that are pretty special to our community. So, um, yeah, uh, fingers crossed that he gets back to good health and uh, back doing what he loves. With that being said, are you ready to do some Twitter questions? Yes, sir. Just- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. To have a handful to get through, Craig, given Jonathan Taylor gutted it out while having an ankle injury, do you have any concerns the injury could be a reoccurring issue next season? How many missed games for Taylor the last two years? That's a terrific question. He missed, what, the four at the start of the year this year? Got to be over a dozen, right? He missed, was it two or three with the thumb? Three? I thought it was three. So, so three, seven so total this year? Seven total this year. And then last game he played in was that Minnesota game, if you want to count that, because he only played like the first two drives or something like that. Right. He was very limited. So seven this, six last? Does that sound right? Uh, let me count here. Minnesota, three last year. 
Uh, yeah, he missed three last year. Oh, more than three, right? Um, let me check. He had to have missed games earlier than that. I mean, it was kind of a hit or miss situation. Remember, he'd like play a game and then he'd miss and then he'd play. Oh, yeah, he played seven. 11 last year, so 13, six 13 and seven total. Um, Again, do you watch the workload at all with him moving forward? You know, the the he he carried it obviously a ton of Wisconsin, and you know when I the the contract extension for him went a year further than I thought. Remember, I kind of threw out the three for forty two. Mm-hmm. That was my big or the three for thirty nine. It was three for forty two, right? But their three for forty two was tacking on one at the end, um, whereas I was more of a rip it up here and go ahead and do that before the start of the season. Um, if you look at that, Eddie, you know, just extending another year, I mean, that that's when you start to get into past history with running backs and so much evidence is there that it just doesn't work for you. Um, so, again, I think that is something certainly to keep an eye on with him moving forward. And then, you know, does that impact what you do at backup running back? Mm-hmm. I think they've got some decisions to make there. Obviously, Zach Moss, a free agent. You know, what do you think about Evan Hall? Uh, in all seriousness, what do you think about Tyler Goodson? Right. You know, do you, do you feel like Goodson can be kind of a pass catcher for you moving forward? Uh, you know, Trey Sermon had some moments, so I'll be interested to see what they do behind Taylor because I think he can be super dynamic. Obviously, I think he can be great, but you know, the I mean, what do you get thirty carries on Saturday night? You know, obviously, you would hope that <laughs> that isn't the norm, but you might need to get to a point where it's a little bit more of a fourteen to sixteen guy, just given how much wear and tear on his tires. Yeah. Be interested to see how he, you know, with the off season, he's able to have time to fully recover this time instead of doing, you know, therapy or whatever for recovery for the ankle. Uh, Drew's question is up next. In his opinion, Michael Pittman Jr. has earned the next contract. He feels like it's going to happen. If so, do the Colts still prioritize a wide receiver as their first pick in the draft, or would they pursue secondary help? Also, I know it's early, but. The due uh, to history, due to his history, do you see Chris Ballard trading out of the first round to gain more second round picks because the Colts are going to pick mid to lower in each round? You know, again, the get more explosive comment. You know, when you think about it, you know, Pittman is not really that. Mm-hmm. Pittman's not this explosive nature. I I still like the speed edge. I think I disagree with Ballard on that. I still like speed edge. At 15. Part of that is scarcity. Part of that is scarcity. Uh, and then wide out corner would be right there. But I, I, it's impossible, Drew, to know until the board starts falling. I mean, seven is a very low number for him. And, and you know, compensatory picks not supposed to be um, added, really. But, you know, again, I, I like a little bit more high-end quality than, than quantity at this point. But, yeah, that's impossible. I mean, has he ever traded back before a draft has happened? I guess the Jets pick... But that was a little different circumstances, three to six there. But yeah, I I wouldn't be moving until I see that board fall. The Rocky Asim draft was that day of? I thought it was it was on the clock, right? Because Montez Sweat was going to be the pick, or yeah, he was medically red flagged and Washington yeah. came up and and took him at twenty six there. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, impossible to know until that board starts to fall, or at least it should be. Michael Pittman Jr. eighty second in yards per catch this season. Just for reference, uh, the closest thousand-yard receiver is Garrett Wilson, and he was seventy-second. Alec Pierce was ninth, by the way, in yards per catch. Give that to me again. Michael Pittman Jr. was eighty-second yeah. in yards per catch. Right. The closest thousand-yard receiver was Garrett Wilson, and that was seventy-second. Mm. Boy, and what does that tell you about the Jets and the Colts quarterback situation? Right. <laughs> you know. Uh, only six wide receivers outside the top 50 had 1,000 yards in terms of yards per catch. There you go. There you go. Uh, Jacob, what do you think about Kenny Moore being on the side of Lucas Oil Stadium? Do you think it was a final thanks before letting him go? Oh, no, no, I Aren't we reading too much into that? No. I think you reward them. They like him on and off the field. Mutual interest in bringing him back. Uh, again, Eddie, there is no one behind Kenny Moore. No one. No one. I mean, you got something. You've got, I mean, hell, you got Nick Cross behind Julian Blackman. And I guess if you really want to act like there's somebody behind Grover Stewart, I guess you have Eric Johnson 
fifth round pick from a couple of years ago. But I mean, again, I don't, I don't really believe that. So, no, I, I don't, I, I didn't read too much into that. But they just put him up there, right? Like right around the new year. They put him up there, I think, right before the finale. After the Raiders game, before Texans. Yeah. I, I didn't see pictures of it until then. Maybe they're tired of Shaq's comments. They're <laughs> <laughs> just like enough, enough. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna pull him down there. No, I think Kenny. I mean. I can make a very strong case, Eddie, to bring back those four. I mean, to bring back Kenny and bring back Gover, bring back Julian and bring back Pittman, and then you know whatever you got twenty-ish million to play with. But can't forget about Rigo. I mean, honestly, if you want to go second-tier free agents, Tyquan Lewis is vital to bring back. Oh yeah, vital. And then Rigo would fall into that group as well. I actually thought Rigo had a better year than people are giving him credit for. Really? He didn't have a single touchback. He was top half the league in average. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I think he had a career high in net. How many dudes do you think had no touchbacks last year? Am I really going to look up punting stats? I think you are. I mean, don't you think most people have like a little bit of a negative light on how Rigo performed this past season? Yeah, because it felt like at times, especially I mean, at the start I mean, of the, the first, year. The, yeah, I mean, the first punt of the year was like, wait, what? Did well, he- that and like... It felt like at times at the beginning of the first half of the season, all of his punts were very short. And, of course, he was coming off the um Yeah, he came off the torn Achilles. It was actually um, a career high for him in terms of average punt, too. All right, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, five guys had no touchbacks, all right? Nick Folk is one of them. He had two punts. Matt, ha- Matt Hack, remember him? Hawk? Oh, yeah. How do we pronounce that? I already forget. Hawk. Three punts. Zero touchbacks. Greg Joseph, the Vikings kicker, un punt, zero touchbacks. Some dude named Sipas for the Eagles had eight punts with no touchbacks. Rigoberto Sanchez had 68 punts and no touchbacks. I mean, every punter has at least three or four. All of them. Mm-hmm. Titans punter had 10. Stonehouse? Yeah. Well, it's because he has a, too big of a leg that he can't contain it. Well, that and until Tony Brown got a handle of it. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, career high in uh, average yards per punt for him. 48.3. Previous high was 46.2. Can't believe we just spent that much time talking yeah, about punt stats. All right, let's get back to it. May Hool, I really appreciated your analysis on whether Gus Bradley can run a championship-level defense. I think his scheme is good, just not good enough. Like Matt Eberflus before him, Gus has the talent... Uh, the blatant negligence for game planning week by week and situational adjustments, allowing the only healthy starting wide receiver on the other team to go for nine receptions for 195 yards and a touchdown and a must win game is egregious. The bend, but don't break scheme is fine when you have the personnel to create turnovers, but this roster does not have a player of that caliber since losing Shaq Leonard injuries after the 2021 season. I know Chris Ballard is entrenched in his defensive philosophy, but when we get a defensive coordinator who is actually aggressive and specifically game plans for each team on a weekly basis. Boy, that is a lot there. Um, The blatant negligence is a juicy phrase. Hard to disagree when you just watch what Nico Bleepin Collins did to you. Did I stress that enough on Monday? Because if I did not, I'd like to stress it about times 10. I don't think you did. Again, fourth and one to me. We don't need to discuss first. We discuss Nico Collins, nine for nine, 155. Did I hear correctly? He had 30% of his yards this year against the Colts. Oh, boy. Um, I hope that's not true. You know, again, I I, I read off the, the draft picks, the money invested into this defense. I, I, I just... I feel like there was some like, you know, and it's not like the Eberflus to Gus Bradley era underwent some massive three four to four three scheme change or like, you know, just oh man, we're gonna have to relearn something that's just oh, totally you know foreign and like learning whatever Mandarin. Uh, that's not that at all. Twenty six percent. I just don't want to see the Colts get complacent defensively. Don't be content. Don't be complacent. And it's just interesting how, again, Ballard takes full blame for it. 
but like he just gets he gets a free pass, right? You know, I mean, Ballard took all the blame yesterday, and he he just you know it's just like okay, whatever. Oh uh, yeah, he committed to the youth movement and. Ursay signed off on it, and what do you do? You know, it, it's just a, it's weird to be honest with you. I don't have a great answer for it, but it's just weird. Twenty six percent. That strikes me as a very high number. Uh, two. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob two hundred milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you questions left steve is up next would you like i uh, would like to hear you discuss on the air whether the colts should keep ryan kelly and Braden smith on the offensive line or wave or one of them or both to free up money to address other areas that the colts should have drafted a center last year to eventually replace ryan kelly i think a mid-round center are you good with that yes what about pinter isn't he a free agent yes he is you kind of forget about him right danny pinter what was the injury? Broken what? I thought it was ankle. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, I wrote about Braden and, and, and uh, Ryan Kelly in my kind of nine offseason storylines to watch. And, you know, it's just like, do you restructure Braden at all? Mm-hmm. Again, he's so valuable. So valuable. But remember, in the run game, they average half a yard more. That, that was wild. That, that stat that you mentioned on Monday. I think have insurance policies of both. Again, draft the center in the mid round. I, I think Blake Freeland, you know, let's, you know, maybe you get, I think it's always good to have a developmental tackle. I don't know if Jake Witt, the seventh round pick mm-hmm. out of Northern Michigan, would be necessarily that. Um, but I, I, I'm for, you know, kind of taking those types of guys that tackle. You know, when you think about it, Eddie, they never really, I guess Jared Valdir late in the year, they never really even, brought, I guess Dan Skipper, honestly, is the other guy they brought in back in training camp, the dude yeah. who um, came in eligible for the Lions. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would say center, you know, kind of mid round. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Would you get rid of it, either one? No, 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 no. Would no. you trade either one? No, no, just certainly not Braden. And again, I don't know if you have this centered, but I think you got to have a center that's just kind of pairing it with Richardson moving forward. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I I would say, without question, um. You need to keep both. You know, I, I have been in the Kelly boat of exploring elsewhere, um, but I thought he showed me a lot this year and just kind of getting back to that level. And again, you know, part of that was you kind of expected Pinter to continue on this rise, and mm-hmm. you know, he didn't. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. It's Would you say this was the best year for Ryan Kelly? I don't know if I can say that, but certainly better. Yeah. 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 Final Twitter question comes from Jason. Uh, Reggie signed a two-year contract under a different head coach. Does Mr. Wayne return? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I believe he'll be back. Uh, I mean, what, what was Shane Steckens' quote? I, I like continuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we are going to get into, Eddie, you know, just the trickle-down effect of, of dominoes, you know, with that, that, that that's going to start. Gerard Mayo, right? First uh, head coach position to get filled. What do we have? Seven other openings? So... You're going to start to get a lot into that. And Are you surprised it wasn't Vrabel or that he even got a call? I almost didn't for- get a call? I kind of forgot about Mayo. You know, I remember last year when we did this, I was like, wait, is Mayo available? Like, are the Colts allowed to interview Mayo? Like, what is going on there? Mm-hmm. And then the season went so poorly, it's like, wait, did Belichick lose succession plan control? Is this a Kraft decision? Like, does Kraft want Mayo? So, I, don't, I, I was kind of confused about that obviously, yeah, I am a little surprised about Rabel. Just exactly where he ends up will be interesting to keep an eye on. But, um, you know, I would say that is the one thing to just watch out for over the next few weeks and months. It's again, where do you know the Colts got what two assistants from the Giants, for example, from last year? You know, it's a playoff Giants team. You know, do you see anybody pluck Colts assistants and say, hey, we want you to be, you know, a bigger name? I mean, whoever takes a job at Alabama, do they look at Tom Manning and they say, hey, man? You were Brock Purdy's OC at Iowa State. You want to come be the OC here? Yeah, I know it's kind of far fetched to think about, but like things like that. Mm-hmm. Because even in college football, we could still get a domino. You know, if Norvell takes a job at Bama, boom, that's going to start a domino. If Kalen DeBoer takes a job, that's going to start a domino. So we still are a ways away, I think, from the Colts bringing back everyone. But Reggie seems like one with his organizational ties that it's here or nowhere. 
Ed Dodds entering with the Raiders. And I think that's something that you bring up too of just as your scout your scouting department's had a ton of continuity under Ballard. Do we start to see that crack at all? And does Dodds have guys in the staff that he likes coaching wise? Right. Or scouts. Yeah, both. Both, certainly. On that end. Eddie Garrison, that's it for me. You got anything? I do not. Have a good weekend, man. Wild card weekend. Road teams to win. Who you got? Road teams to win? I got the Browns. Cleveland, for me, is the only road team I've got winning. You don't have the Rams over the Lions? No. The Fighting Campbells get it done? Yes. You got the Eagles or Bucks? I've got the Buccaneers. Ooh, interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, Philly is just so broken. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll say the extra day helps Philly, but I don't know. That might be a little Sirianni bias talking. All right, Eddie, you have a great weekend, brother. Thanks you too, man. Thanks for listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner. We will be back later in January.